really doing all kinds of things to help her set up her classroom and, and, and get prepared for the school year. And we probably spent a good you know, hour or two specifically with her. And by the end of that time, um, as we were leaving, she had, you know, she couldn't say enough kind things. She was moved to tears um, as we were wrapping up with her and just talked about how blessed she was and how moved she was that, that we as a church were there supporting her and that we spent that time with her. And so um, just a, a neat moment for us to be able to partner with a school that was, you know, like I said, it's very challenged, very ethnically diverse and um, just a neat, a neat ministry for our church. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your um, contribution of, of the different school supplies. We were able to bless the teachers with that. Um, and then we had a group of probably about 15 or so that were there yesterday um, just working hard and, and supporting them. So thank you. Thank you so much. It really was exciting to see. And, and a number of the parents came in uh, addressing how uh, frustrated, not frustrated, uh, how nervous uh, they were and even a little bit fearful about, you know, sending their little kindergartner off to school for the day. Uh, and by the time that the uh, morning was finished, uh, there was just a great deal of relief for a lot of them. So again, Mike and Jennifer, thanks for planning that beyond our doors. Thanks for putting that together. Uh, hearts to serve the uh, Friday night ministry. Thank you guys for putting the teacher bags uh, together. Those were delivered and uh, bringing joy to the uh, teachers as well. And we want you to know that Hearts to Serve went above and beyond. And we've got a box over here for public and private uh, school teachers. If you would grab a bag after the service or uh, during the service, I guess, if you feel so moved, uh, just don't start using it uh, for uh, just to encourage you as you start your year. And for all the rest of us that are homeschoolers, no bags. But we'll pray for you. How's that? <laughs> hey, I do want to recognize our public and private school teachers because they are going back to school this week. Most of them have been in school. Uh, they are going back to school this week with students. And so uh, I'm going to ask you guys to stand, if you would, just right where you are. And um, we are going to pray for you. We admire your, your service and, and uh, your work. Please keep standing. As we uh, get a chance to pray, we are so thankful for you guys spread around the congregation here. And uh, with, with the congregation, would you guys just join me in prayer? Look for somebody that's near you, even if you don't know a name. And uh, please pray for that person. And I will lead in prayer. And then uh, Chris is going to get us uh, going in song here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you so much for the, the men and women that you have given us that serve our uh, community in public and private schools. And we thank you, Lord, for the preparation that they have. We ask that you would give them stamina uh, for the coming year, and especially strength for the first couple of days. Uh, ask that they would experience your peace through the power of your presence and uh, be able to handle all the nerves that come with uh, meeting students and uh, navigating regulations and, and policies and everything that shifts with uh, COVID. We thank you for their willingness to do that. We ask that you would fill their hearts with love for their students. 
and that that love would be directly from you as they represent you in the classroom. Pray that you would give them uh, your love to give them the comfort they need and to give them the security and the strength and the significance that frees them up to serve their students. We ask for great relationships with their colleagues and their grades and with their administrations. We ask that you would smooth out the way before them so that, again, they are free to uh, positively impact these students' lives and to represent you in the classroom. So we entrust them to you, Lord, and we look forward to your goodness taking place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's stand together.
Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my
change my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Jesus you're Father, we thank you for the life that we have because of you. We thank you that you are our defender, that you keep us, that you hold us. Father, we thank you for the life that we find in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kids, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you are a guest and you have a kiddo in that age range, you can go with them to get them checked in and then come back and join us. Tatiana Schoenmaker is a child of King Jesus and a young woman who has taken up the shield of faith. She is learning to process life through the power and presence and promises of Jesus Christ. Through her Instagram posts, it is clear that she is trying to understand scripture and trying to see how life plays out under her Lord's direction. She also happens to be a pretty good swimmer. She is from South Africa and won Olympic gold in the 200-meter breaststroke by setting a new world record. About five years ago, she trusted Christ as her Savior, and despite all the stress of preparing for this race, the 200-meter breaststroke, among other races, she posted this on Instagram, gives us a little bit of a taste of her uh, faith in process. She said, Father God, may your will be done. May your peace fill us up. May we praise you no matter what the outcome. May we be empowered by your strength to give our all and may we forever be in awe of your goodness. Thank you for bringing us to this very moment. Now, she didn't win the 100-meter breaststroke. She was also favored in that. But she won this one. I was admiring her commitment to the Lord instead of praying for victory. I'm a little more selfish than Tatiana. She trusted Christ, like I said, five years ago. On the one-year anniversary of that, back in 2017, she posted this on Instagram, and, and I like it because it shows her chosen trajectory of life that she wanted to walk with an act of faith in Jesus as a follower of Jesus. And this is what she posted back in 2017. She says, today, a year ago, I made the best decision of my life by accepting Jesus as my personal Savior. And that I am willing to commit my entire life in humble obedience and service to God. Her faith has not wavered. 
She lost a year, is the way some athletes have put it. 2020 was supposed to be the Olympics, but COVID hit, the pandemic, everything was shifted. She had taken time away from her studies in, in order to concentrate on the Olympics. She had gone through the preparation and the qualifications for 2020, but her faith never wavered. In fact, this is what she posted a year ago in August of 2020. She said, the year I've been training for my whole swimming career. But what I realized is it was the year I planned and not necessarily God's planned year. We always get so caught up in making our plans and doing it our way. But is it in line with God's plan or his way? Now, I don't want to build her into something she isn't. I don't want to make her look like the perfect Christian because I'll guarantee you without her posting it that uh, she sins as well, just like all the rest of us. And that she has doubts and confusion and that she struggles. But what I do know is there's this consistency of that trajectory that she said that she wanted to walk by faith with Jesus. And she wanted to interpret life through his grid, not through her own. And so as the speed bumps hit along the way, she was willing to say, ah, God's plan, not my plan. She could have been regretful. She could have been, I'm sure she was frustrated. She could have been angry, could have been bitter. She was certainly suffering loss along the way. But she chose, at least in her Instagram posts, and I just picked out two or three, to show her walk, her active walk, her active faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that her life is as tough as yours and mine because she faces a daily spiritual battle just like the rest of us. We all are waging war with a spiritual enemy, with Satan himself and his angelic beings that serve him. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and today we are in verse 16. We're looking at the section of Ephesians where Paul says, I want you to put on the full armor of God. I want you to stand strong in the Lord's strength, not your own. And so we've been looking in this sermon series at the different pieces of the armor, and today we're going to be looking at The shield of faith. And as we look at the shield of faith, we're going to see that we can stamp out the temptations of Satan by practicing our faith. It's not our doing. It's not our strength. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ and in the strength of his might. The shield of faith stamps out the temptations of Satan. By practicing our faith. That's how we can navigate life's uncertainties because even though none of us that I know of are training for the Olympics, we all face the same type of loss and regret and frustration and anger that Tatiana must have faced over the past few years in preparing for these Olympics. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. And, and here we see the next piece of armor. It's the shield of faith. This is what Paul says, again, picking up on that verb in verse 14, stand firm, therefore. Verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's a pretty hefty promise, isn't it? 
Here we are talking about waging war with the spiritual forces around us, with Satan and his demons. And God's word tells us that if we take up the shield of faith, we will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In this passage, verse 16, we're going to see that practical faith appropriates the Lord's strength. It stamps out temptation, and it must be practiced consistently. Let's look at the first phrase, or the first point here, exercise resolute faith to gain the Lord's strength. We want to actively participate in our walk with Jesus. We want to learn over the course of our lives on this faith journey to trust him moment by moment so that we might experience his strength in our lives. Paul's commands here, exhortations, continue to place the responsibility on us that we are to take up the armor and we are to experience the Lord's strength. And when he does that, he places us alongside all of those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. All of those who has, whose faith is in Christ has forgiven their sins because of his work on the cross and given them the free gift of eternal life throughout all the centuries. You know, we have a lot of conveniences in the modern American evangelical church that most people over the centuries never had. But they had Jesus, and they trusted him. And that's our challenge today. We are to exercise a resolute faith that we might experience the Lord's strength. The shield of faith here describes a moment-by-moment -moment living that requires dependence upon the protection and provision of Jesus Christ. It receives his blessing and his strength as we learn to lean on him. And in this manner, we are protected by him from Satan. Now, the Roman soldier had an actual shield. The one that Paul is writing about here is one that's about two and a half feet wide and about four feet long. It actually was called the same word in Latin as a door. And that's how they treated it. It was something they could hide behind. It was something that would stop projectiles. It was typically a couple planks of wood to give it thickness. They were glued and pressed together. It was wrapped in a linen or a canvas. And then leather, like a calfskin, was placed over it to make it tough and to be able to extinguish the flaming arrows that were thrown at it or the flaming spear or any projectile, rocks that might have been thrown. That's what this piece of wood was for. It was a shield to hopefully knock off projectiles. And one of the problems was being wood, some of the spears, some of the arrows would just stick into it. So you might finish a battle and you have a lot of pieces sticking out of the other side of your shield, but thankfully it protected you in the process. That's the picture, the imagery that Paul has here as he tells us to take up the shield of faith. He wants us to hide behind Jesus Christ. He wants us to be protected by Jesus Christ. He wants us to rely on Christ to knock away 
these flaming arrows, the fiery darts of the evil one. And so the question arises as we talk about the shield of faith is how would you define faith in this verse? Well, in the little letter uh, to Ephesus that Paul has written here in, in chapter 4, verse 13, excuse me, back in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he talks about saving faith, that by grace you are saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should base. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as a sinless substitute on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and we receive the free gift of eternal life. That's what we call saving faith. That's what Paul referred to in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 4, he talks about what we might call historical faith or doctrinal faith, the, the content of what we believe about the person and work of Jesus Christ as we look throughout Scripture. Well, this isn't saving faith or historical faith. This is just practical, everyday faith. It's the same faith that appropriated salvation, and it's the faith now that allows us to lean on Jesus Christ. It's a faith that binds us in a deep and a, and a vital union. John uses the word abide. As we abide in Christ, we have this deep and, and vital union with Jesus Christ. Where we trust him for protection and provision. This faith in God manifests itself three different ways. Just to help orient our thinking about what are we trusting in here as we trust in Jesus? What are we relying on? Well, the first one is faith in the presence of God. Here we experience his power and his peace. Jesus is always with us, and he gives us courage to act. He lets us experience his love so that we respond to him in a loving obedience. Joshua is one of many examples in Scripture that the Lord said, be of good courage, take courage, act in obedience to my word, and know this, I am with you always. Is the presence of Jesus that we have faith in because he has given us that word as a promise and it's faith in the promises of God that we also place our faith in. We look to God's word. And so even as you read through God's word, you get a sense of what God is offering here, of how he is guiding you, of what he is pledging to do on your behalf and what is going to happen in your life if you trust him we turn our hearts to jesus and we trust god to be all that he promises to be toward us in jesus christ we want to put our faith in his promises so one of the great promises that we can take hold of is found in first john 4 verse 4 where john says greater is he speaking of jesus christ who is in you than he who is in the world, speaking of Satan. It's a great promise to hang on, a great passage to memorize and to meditate on and to use when you take up the shield of faith in declaring your stance against Satan, that you stand firm in God's word. And then finally, we have faith in the providence of God. We must be willing to trust God, that he will work all things together for good, for our good and for his glory. How do we know that? Because the verse that follows working all things together for good says so that for the purpose of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm going to take everything that's going on and I'm going to use that as you trust me to shape you, 
to make you more like Jesus Christ. That's pretty exciting, right? I mean, that's a little bit of what I pick up on from this enthusiastic 24-year-old in her Instagram posts, that life is crazy, and it's uncertain, and it's weird, but there is an anchor here in God and in his promises and in his providence. We know from the Old Testament, even his promises to the nation of Israel reveal something about his character and his love for us. When he said, I've got a plan for you, a future and a hope. It's just part of his character. That's who he is. God is for us, Paul would say in Romans chapter 8. So we can see that our faith is manifested in three different ways. That's a good way to, to, to wrap your mind around. What are we trusting in here when we say, I trust in Jesus. I rely on him. I depend upon him. Because every day, if we were an experience resolute faith, in a sense that, that we gain the Lord's strength, We've got to trust in him, his presence, his promises, and his providence. The next point we got is that in the last phrase, second half of the verse, is that we can exercise resolute faith to stamp out temptation. Stamp out temptation. We are responsible, as I said earlier, Paul makes that clear, to take up the shield of faith. We are responsible to put on the full armor of God. It is our cooperation with the Holy Spirit is the way Paul puts it in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, that allows us to obey God and to have a steady act of trust in him and who he is and to expect him to show up and to anticipate him. The enemies of Rome would come with their projectiles, as I said, the arrows, the spears, the rocks. They would also come with fire sometimes. And certainly, I don't know if you ever watched Braveheart or, or The Patriot, you know, these war movies that, you know, are just very hard to watch because they were just so raw in their battles with one another in this hand-to-hand -hand combat. But that's sort of the way it was. And then when you're facing these people across the field, and they wrap some linen around their spear tip and, and then they put some pitch on it and they ignite that and you see this fire coming at you? That's a fearful situation. That's the imagery that Paul is using here. That as we walk with Jesus, life is uncertain and life is difficult and we're going to fail and we're going to sin. We're going to face circumstances that we would love to dig ourselves out of. He wants us to come back to Jesus and to face his strength and not open the door to the schemes of the evil one. So this is what he says in verse 16. Stand firm, therefore, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Again, that's not us doing that. It's simply us taking up the shield of faith, expressing our trust, our practical everyday trust in God in Jesus Christ, and letting him deal with Satan's fiery darts. They come in sudden attacks, and they often seize us emotionally and drag us down. We can all identify with Satan's work through the fiery darts. The fiery darts of, of Satan come in temptations that are common to all, all of us. It, it could be through doubts or discouragement or despair. 
Those are, those are common to all followers of Jesus. As we attempt to stand upright in a fallen world, even as we're following Jesus, that's what we experience. We can be fearful about world affairs or about our own personal difficult situations. In addition to all those flaming arrows, I think that what is mainly highlighted here by Paul are the evil thoughts and images that he plants in our minds, that, he, uh, that, that Satan attacks us with. He might plant lies or filthy words or slanderous words in our minds. He might give us words that are hateful or filled with criticism or judgmental about others that eventually spill out into our speech. He may give us impulses of impatience that when we choose to act on them, then we burn people around us and we get burnt in the process. We start to think things that we don't want to think. That might even happen when you are having a time of communion with the Lord, a time of devotion with the Lord. It might happen when you are reading God's word or praying. I can tell you openly that that happens to me when I'm praying occasionally, that these blasphemous thoughts or images that I haven't dwelt on or thought about might pop into my mind. That's not what I'm dwelling on when I'm talking to God. But that's how Satan works. He brings up these things that we don't want to be a part of, that we are not pointed toward in our life, or perhaps they're things from the past or things that we've given thought to. And he uses that to derail us in our walk with Jesus Christ. He uses that to get back at Jesus so that we don't bring him glory, but instead are sinning by giving in to the flaming arrows of the evil one. Horrible evil thoughts can even pop into your mind when you are in prayer. So I don't want you to feel like you're the only one here. And if I'm the only one here, don't tell me. Then come on suddenly. Again, like I said, things that we've thought about, things we haven't thought about. But these secret thoughts that Satan pops into our mind often drag us down and are discouraging and despairing because we don't know where they came from. We think, ah, we are a horrible person. And so then Satan goes on the attack and he accuses us. You call yourself a Christian. You're not even worthy to walk with Jesus Christ. You call yourself a Christian and you think about that or you had this in your mind. Satan does that. This is part of the normal daily battle warfare that followers of Jesus face. So how do you deal with attacks like that? We said exercising resolute faith stamps out temptation. And I would say take up the shield of faith. We are to look to Jesus Christ by faith. I would also look to God's word because God's word points us to Jesus Christ. Recall some promise of God's word and, and believe it to be true and act on it, not on any image. Don't dwell on any image that Satan pops into your mind. Some examples, arrows of criticism come in. They remember the God's word, that words of grace are to come from our mouth, to build up, not to tear down. 
or perhaps when arrows of bitterness come in. We can remember Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can forgive others and experience peace in relationships. Arrows of lustful images for material things. And we can remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added to you. Or arrows of sensual lust being driven at you, which is certainly a big part of our world's system. And we can recall God's word in 1 Thessalonians 4, that this is the will of God for you, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. See, we can look to God's word. We can believe that it is true because it is and it's eternal. And we can believe that it's powerful in our life and we can act on it. You know so much of God's word. You may not be able to quote exactly where it's found. You may have to paraphrase it a bit. But that's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. Turn to God's word. If not, use a concordance. And if not, just ask someone in our community for help in finding scripture to deal perhaps with a nagging issue in your life or being prepared for many issues. One of my favorite passages is the grid that I think Paul has given us for all of our thoughts. It takes the steam out of Satan's attack and resists him so that he flees. And that is Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These are the things that we are called to dwell on, to give our mind to, to meditate on, to think about, to chew on, to ask the Holy Spirit how this plays out in my life, to ask the Holy Spirit to, to cleanse our minds to transform our hearts. God gives us a great grid there in Philippians 4.8. When Satan tries to twist our thinking about our circumstances, we can remember that God does work all things together for good to conform us to the image of his son. Let Christ extinguish these evil thoughts. And if you'll notice, Paul says, extinguish all the fiery darts of Satan. So we will become accustomed to taking up the shield of faith because he doesn't hold back here. He, Jesus, there's nothing beyond Jesus. Faith is always the answer when we face these multiple deadly attacks, these blazing arrows launched by Satan and his demons. The apostle Paul wrote this, excuse me, the apostle John, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because faith binds us in a vital, deep union with God. Faith is resting in the person, the promises, and the providence of God and his word to us. I am convinced that Bible meditation is a powerful element in changing us, transforming us from the inside, and protecting us from the fiery darts of the evil one. The Romans, before they would go out into battle, they would take their leather and canvas-covered wooden planks, their shields, and they would immerse them in water for a while. Because even though the leather might have an effect against the fire, certainly the water would. 
And that's how I look at taking time to memorize God's word, taking time to read God's word, taking time especially to memorize, to meditate on God's word. What you're doing is you're strengthening your heart and your mind to stand firm, to take up the shield of faith, to be prepared for Satan's attacks, just like they prepared for battle by immersing their shields in water. We want to be a people that exercise resolute faith to stamp out the temptations of Satan. And then finally, we want to exercise resolute faith every day. See this actually at the, the start of the verse, take up the shield. We exercise faith in a practical way every day, right? We get in the car and we expect it to run and take us to school or to work. We go to a restaurant and we order food and we don't watch it put together and we just have faith, we trust that it's not going to be poisonous and that we can eat this food. We get on the airplane and we let a pilot that we've never met, maybe never seen, but we trust him and that plane to get us somewhere. And then there's that whole chain of going to the doctor and him going to the pharmacist and the pharmacist going to the pharmaceutical company and giving us medications. And we trust that whole process to bring healing. We exercise faith in very practical ways every day. In fact, probably far more often than we do in a spiritual sense. But we want to work that way. We want our trajectory to be that we want to practice faith moment by moment. Paul's asking us to place our faith in Jesus when he says, take up the shield in a moment-by-moment -moment way. Satan and his demons are always uncomfortable. When someone trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, when they recognize him as God, and when they honor his authority with a loving obedience, Satan runs from that. He's resisted by your walk with Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to exercise resolute faith every day, and, and this faith does not require a seminary degree. He's talking about faith for all of us. Do you remember the illustration, the analogy that Jesus used with his disciples in the story in Mark chapter 10? He took a child that they were trying to shoo away and get rid of because, you know, Jesus is the son of God and he's the big man and he can't be around children. And, and Jesus took this child and he, he accepted him and he embraced him. And then he said, I want your trust in me to be like this child's. What do we know about young children? Well, they, they trust, they know that they have an inability to do a lot of things in their lives. And so they trust those around them. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to rest the full weight of our trust, our faith upon him, to experience his strength. It doesn't require a seminary degree, and it doesn't require years of, of knowing Jesus. In fact, I, I honestly believe if we went around the room, we would hear from people that have known Jesus for 20, 30 years and say, you know, I still struggle with this. I'm still not prepared for the attacks of Satan. I still don't take up the shield of faith. And face Satan in the strength of the Lord. I just try to go through my life and take care of my own circumstances and, and grow spiritually. Because that's, why, that's how we're wired. 
We want to be people who cry out to Jesus like the father of the young man whom Jesus healed in Mark chapter 9. He said, I do believe, help my unbelief. It's another good passage to memorize this week. I do believe, help my unbelief. We can cry out to Jesus for the strength we need, for the grace we need to rely on him, to experience him. We want to exercise resolute faith every day. I want to give you two applications here as we round out uh, the message. And, and I certainly want to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus Christ. You know that was coming, right? I mean, it comes every week. But, but I want to challenge you with a loving exhortation as the most loving thing that I can challenge you and me to do. And that is to walk with Jesus, to be proactive in our trust of him. And so that would probably entail some form of reading his word, uh, of becoming more familiar with him and, and some form of prayer. I mentioned earlier that you might want to memorize one or two of the, the passages that we have looked at here. You might even want to meditate on them especially when you deal with spiritual attacks so that you might express your trust in Christ. Try talking to Jesus. Just tell him what you're going through. Try to do it once an hour. Set, set that goal for this week and, and see what that looks like in your life. Tell him what you think of him. Tell him that you're aware perhaps of his goodness Tell him perhaps you saw a positive change in your heart because of his work. Tell him of your deep need or your discouragement, your despair, your defeat. Because Jesus won't run from you. He will run to you. And this walk, this active participation in our walk with Jesus, our moment-by-moment -moment trust our proactive faith in Christ is what gives us a shield to stand firm against the, in the strength of the Lord against the attacks of Satan. When we are up taking the shield of faith, then there are times where Satan sees that and he just runs away because we've resisted him simply because we are walking with Jesus Christ. And when we are up, there are times where Satan attacks and his fiery darts just stick in the shield or bounce off and we never are even aware of it because we've been protected by Jesus Christ. And then there are times when the fiery darts come through, but we are tempted in some form or fashion to lie or to sin or, or to criticize or to not forgive and, and we take the way of escape. We choose to respond to Jesus and we don't go forward in sin. And then there are times when we're not proactive in our faith, when we're not walking with Jesus and, and we're not ready for the attacks of Satan and our shield is down. And that's when we essentially try to go through the temptations in our own strength. And you and I know what kind of failure that leads to and guilt and shame because Satan loves to jump all over us at that point. Be proactive in your relationship with Jesus. And then secondly, I want to offer a framework for exercising your faith every day. 
It's one that I believe should permeate our faith in Jesus. And it's not one that uh, I came up with. It's one that's just modeled for us in the lives of the early church, the first century followers of Jesus. And I would call it the five core experiences of the New Testament believer. You're familiar with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. That's probably the most concise paragraph where we find all five elements. But they are literally littered throughout the New Testament so that I honestly believe that when these five core experiences permeate our lives, that we are living a life of faith, that we are active in following Jesus. And I'll give them to you. They are worship and instruction and community and evangelism and stewardship. Those are the five core experiences that we see throughout the New Testament. So let me just mention them first because all of them put us directly in touch with Jesus. And that's the beauty of it. So when we talk about worshiping, we're talking about treasuring Jesus. We're talking about the fact that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and revelation demands a response. And so when we respond to him in worship, we respond with all that we are, with our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts. And, and we do that in response to who he is, all that he is. And so that's much more than just singing songs on Sunday morning or listening to a message or praying that is just our constant lifestyle. That's the trajectory we want to be on of worshiping, treasuring Jesus, because that's taking up the shield of faith. There are five that I think work in dynamic fluidity. Instruction or discipleship to Jesus through his word. Scripture points us to Jesus in every book of the Bible. And it is when we read God's word. We get to watch our faith grow and we get to see how God dealt with men and women of faith throughout scripture. And that grows our faith and that excites us. Community. We talk about doing life together. And I said earlier that Satan's very uncomfortable with anybody that places their faith in Christ and recognizes his authority in their life and responding in loving obedience. And he is absolutely scared to death anytime a, a church family comes together or an ABF or a small group, any type of community. That's why you want to use your friendships, not just to, to, to enjoy each other and to talk about the life around you, but make sure it's oriented around your life in Christ. That's just woven in, not in some uh, formal or, or uh, legalistic way. But that's just part of who you are as you encourage one another to love and good works, as you encourage one another to walk with Jesus Christ and to experience his strength against the attacks of Satan. There's nothing wrong in a trusted relationship or group of people to, to share the attacks that Satan brings to you, to expose this defeated enemy and, and to seek strength and encouragement from the Lord through those that we worship with and do life together. Evangelism. We want to point those to Jesus who own property in the kingdom of darkness. We want to see them free from the bondage to sin and death. And so when we talk about an act of faith, we're not talking about just being in a cocoon with me and Jesus or just in a cocoon with me and my church family. No, we got to be in, in the world, but not of it. We want to move through our sphere of influence with a love that Jesus brings as we share 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's taking up the shield of faith. And then finally, stewardship. That's what Jesus modeled for us, right? He said, I came to serve and not be served, to give my life a ransom for many. And so when we are serving, we are acting just like Jesus Christ. And we are reaching beyond ourselves. Because Satan would love to keep us self-centered. And yet our service takes us beyond and helps us serve just like Jesus serves. Those are five core experiences that each one points us to Jesus. And as they are woven into your lives and into your family's life, they help you fend off the attacks of Satan by taking up the shield of faith. We want to be people that take up the shield of faith. We don't want to be people that wage war on our own. We want to take, be people that just find a favorite piece of armor of God and use that. We want to be people that take up the shield of faith along with everything else. I want to finish with the words of Peter in 1 Peter 5, 9, 8 and 9. A great reminder of Satan's desire to steal, kill, and destroy and that we must be firm in our faith. He said, be, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are united to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and over the centuries because you ask the same thing of us that you ask of them. And that is simply to trust you, not just for salvation and then go our own way, but to experience the joy of salvation, uh, of the forgiveness of sins, and you entering our life to, to give us eternal life, and then to experience that life day by day. And so we ask for the grace to walk with you. We ask for the grace to ask for help if we need it. We ask for grace to encourage others on this faith journey with us. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Send
sound awesome. <laughs> um, and you, you can have a good week now.